the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, hello, everyone. This is Al Fadi, and we are live from our studios, and uh, it's always a pleasure to be with you. Uh, so far, we have done uh, some wonderful, wonderful recordings, myself and Dr. Jay Smith, which, by the way, he and I will do another live at 6 p.m., give or take. I say give or take because we are uh, usually, um, you know, cognizant uh, cognizance of the fact that the Internet may or may not cooperate. Sometimes things can go wrong. But uh, Lord willing, around 6 p.m. Eastern Time, New York Time, Myself and Dr. J today will go live to recap some of the things that we have done. But what's important right now is we have a very special guest who was with me uh, last year uh, in October of 2020, my dear brother, Joel Richardson. Joel, welcome, brother. Thank you so much for making time to be with us. Alfadi, it's always a blessing to be with you. Thank you. And today's topic, uh, folks, uh, is going to be even more intriguing. We are going to talk about the Islamic world of superstition. And to do that, we are going to address the topic of jinn. And that's the first part of the show, which will be about 24 to 25 minutes, because we will be doing this as part of our podcast as well, Let Us Reason. And Lord willing, the second part will talk about the Islamic Dajjal, or let's call him the Antichrist, but according to the Islamic worldview. Well, with that in mind, uh, Joel, what's the story with the superstition or the Islamic superstition or the world of superstition and the connection to jinn? Sure. Well, first of all, let me just say, for most Christians, uh, most Christians are not aware. They sort of assume that Muslims believe basically the same thing about the supernatural as Christians. Um, and in a very simplified way, Christians would say, well, there are angels and there are demons. It's actually a bit more complicated than that. Um, but from a Muslim perspective, you also have this, this type of creature, we'll say, you know, God's creation. They're not human. Um, we would not say they're demons necessarily, but they're called jinn or jinn, like with a DJ. And Muslims would say that these beings, they have free will. They have fitra. So they have the ability to choose whether or not to become believers or unbelievers. So they're these spirits, let's just say uh, in English, they're spirits. Now, this is, by the way, where in popular uh, mythology in English, we get the concept of genie. Okay, so that comes from the Islamic concept of jinn. But what I've personally found so fascinating, and this is actually why I wanted to talk to you about it, is over the years, whenever I meet Muslims, uh, oftentimes as we're talking about God, we're talking about our belief in the supernatural, I often ask them, I say, tell me some jinn stories. 
Tell me stories. Have you ever encountered a jinn? Have you ever seen one? And this type of thing. And what I've always found fascinating is how almost every Muslim I've ever talked to, their eyes light up as soon as you mention this. And they're, they're afraid. They're terrified. Right. Uh, of jinn. And it seems like everyone I've talked to has had experiences, not just, um, you know, in Western world, we, we have ghost stories, but I mean, experiences where a being walked into their room or grabbed them or scratched them and, you know, really oftentimes violent episodes growing up where these jinn would re- uh, repeatedly appear to them or haunt them, so to speak. And it's fascinating how this pervades Islamic culture, it's something that I find Christians often are unaware of, and it really speaks to, I'll say, the difference between what we experience as Christians and what many Muslims experience just on a day-to-day level. That's right. Yeah. And uh, again, everyone, we want to welcome you to a live stream from our studios. And with us here, uh, at least virtually, joining us, uh, our dear brother Joel Richardson. And this is also part of our radio uh, program, Let Us Reason. So I want to welcome our all listeners. Uh, the topic is interesting. We're dealing with a couple of facets of the uh, Islamic world of superstition. One such thing is the jinn. And, you know, Joel, as you know, um, jinn, uh, at least from the Islamic worldview, it appears to have been a real thing that Muhammad allegedly dealt with. There is an entire chapter in the Quran, chapter 72, that deals with jinn. There is this uh, claim that some of the jinn converted even to Islam. Some of the jinn are considered to be your companion as a human being and so on and so forth. Right. It mentions, it actually mentions the jinn numerous times throughout the Quran. I want to say uh, just under 30 times. There's actually a whole chapter dedicated. I think mm-hmm. it's chapter 27 called... Uh, 72. 72. 72. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, this is not just sort of a fringe peripheral belief within Islam, and it is different than belief, for example, in angels. Um, as you as you said, according to Islamic belief, some of the jinn are Muslims, and then some are not Muslims. And you'll hear people say, I saw this jinn bowing and praying. Right. Him, um, praying. It was, he was a Muslim. Other times, um, as I said, they'll have experiences where these beings will come into their room and torment them and scratch them and this type of thing. Now, from a Christian perspective, we would immediately say, well, they believe they're jinn, but they're not jinn, they're demons. These are malevolent uh, beings that often torment people. From a biblical perspective, we would say, you know, these are not friend, these are not your companions, so to speak. And so uh, I hear numerous stories of Christians who live in the Islamic world, those who live in some of the different countries in the Arab Peninsula, all the way over to Afghanistan, where they regularly have the opportunity to pray for their neighbors. Mm-hmm and give them deliverance and bring them freedom from the oppression that they're often experiencing with jinn. And oftentimes, the effects that these experiences with these jinn have on people is exactly what we see in the Bible, um, or just in anecdotal stories of people who are possessed by demons, who are oppressed or possessed by demons. And again, this is not just something that happens occasionally. Um, Again, if you have a conversation with just you know, your average Muslim, they'll usually have a few stories um, of this type of thing growing up, or they'll, you know, their mother or father was possessed by a jinn. It, it's really um, an incredibly pervasive reality. That's right. And, uh, you know, uh, Joel, I'm sure you know this, but uh, the Quran alleges that the jinn are made from a com- 
completely different essence as to the angels, for instance. I say this because in the Bible, we know that there are fallen angels, and the fallen angels are calling, uh, called the demons or the demonic powers. They're the one who antagonize people. They are the one who are working with Satan uh, to try to, um, uh, you know, basically have a counter uh, gospel, if you wish, against the gospel of truth. They're the one who try to intimidate, you know, those who want to follow Christ and, and do many other things as well. But all that you say in Islam, there is no such thing as the concept of fallen angels. Therefore, a Muslim will look at jinn. It's just created to be this way. I mean, isn't that a direct, basically, attack against the character of God that he made beings like this who, whose sole purpose is just to do evil? Exactly. You know, from a biblical perspective, God is not the author of evil. He creates beings that have free will, that choose to do evil, that fall, and this type of thing, but he doesn't actually create evil. He doesn't create beings that are born evil, Um, you know. So, I mean, the thing, to me, the big issue here is, you know, and this really, this, this is relevant if someone is just an unbeliever, they're not a Muslim, when it comes to the spirit world, the realm of the spirits, the question is, who has legitimate authority over these evil spirits? And consistently over the years, what I've seen is, you know, let's say some, I don't know, shaman or someone who dabbles in the occult, they'll acknowledge the reality of evil spirits, you know, witches, they'll acknowledge that these things exist, but they don't have authority over them. Likewise, Muslims, they'll acknowledge that they exist. They'll acknowledge that many of them are very evil, but they don't really have authority over them. But consistently, average Christians, uh, again, you know, they're not professional ministers. They're just believers. At the name of Jesus, they have authority to rebuke these spirits. And that's something for me that has always testified to the authenticity of the gospel, to the power of the Holy Spirit within us. In fact, um, just recently I was talking to someone who uh, lives and works. They're a Christian in Afghanistan. And what happened is their neighbor, uh, one of their children was experiencing oppression. Uh, We would say demonic oppression. They would say it was a jinn. But it was after uh, she was prayed for that she found deliverance. Next thing you know, uh, half the neighborhood was coming saying, we also have spiritual oppression. And it's almost as though uh, the woman set up sort of a, um, a medical clinic, so to speak, except it was a spiritual clinic where she was just praying for the whole neighborhood and setting people free from longstanding, very dark, you know, from a uh, doctor's perspective, they would say the person is mentally deranged, you know, real outward manifestations where people are unable to even function in life, you know, sometimes kept locked in rooms and this type of thing. And when she prayed for them, they were they were coming to, they were coming out of this state. It's a, it's a really fascinating um, discussion. Absolutely. And, and I don't know if you've ever uh, either yourself been to Southeast Asia or maybe interacted with those who are doing ministry in there. But, uh, you know, there are three uh, dominant uh, kind of like worldviews out there. You have the honor and shame worldview that is, uh, uh, you know, uh, prevalent, if you wish, in the Middle East. You have the uh, other worldview, which is the um, uh, fear and power, which is more prevalent whenever you have animistic worldview. They believe in, you know, demonic powers and so on and so forth. You find this in parts of Africa, East Africa, West Africa, also in Southeast Asia. And uh, those are real. I mean, I know of missionaries that go there and uh, they will encounter, like you said, some people who are dealing with those kind of issues. They pray over them. That's 
part of the mission uh, work that they do is to pray over that, to show them the power of the name of Jesus and so on and so forth. So this is, uh, you know, uh, no one is denying uh, that there are demonic powers out there. The Bible itself talks about it. What is so interesting is that these demons actually acknowledge Jesus. In fact, according to the Gospel of uh, Mark, to be the first to acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God and that they will be judged by him, which is very interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. It you know, from the right when I first came to faith and I was coming out of kind of a hedonistic worldview and you had all kids type of kids that were dabbling in witchcraft and this type of thing. It was one of the things that convinced me of the validity of the message of the gospel was to see the authority, the power over demons. Uh, throughout the Islamic world, uh, you know, we talk to our Muslim friends, they'll say, well, there are uh, various imams. It's almost their profession to where they'll be called to houses and, and they make a lot of money. They make a lot of money doing it and they'll, and they charge a lot of money. This is the thing. And they'll come, they'll read various passages from the Quran over those that are uh, afflicted. And oftentimes it, there's no effect and they have to keep coming back and people will pay fortunes to try to help uh, their children recover from these type of maladies. And so Christians who, again, who live throughout the Islamic world often will offer to pray for people for free, um, because why would you charge to help someone when you actually have the authority to do such? And they see results. And so that really, that hits Muslims, faithful Muslims. They say, my imam had no power. The Quran had no power over this, but this simple woman who prayed for my daughter uh, set her free. So it's, um, it, the, 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 it's evident, the distinction. Absolutely. And, and you know, uh, Joel, we have, uh, you know, this uh, this whole business of witchcrafting that exists in those areas sometimes where, whereby they invoke actually demonic powers on certain people or they put a spell in your water or your food or, you know, they take a piece of hair from you. And so so we're dealing with real tangible issues. But the only difference is that we are as believers, we believe demonic powers exist they're fallen angels, but also we believe in the power of the name of Christ. But also, I, I, I'm going to go out on a limp here, and some people may, may not believe this. You're not going to find a single story in the Bible that says a believer has been possessed by demons, meaning the demons themselves possessed your body. Now, they can antagonize you. No one is saying they can't. And they can definitely cause some troubles uh, for us. And if we are weak in our walk, uh, we have temptations caused by them. Uh, Satan himself, as the Apostle Paul uh, stated that in 2 Corinthians 11, 13 and 14, uh, he's basically uh, can masquerade as an angel of light, deceiving people. I am one of those people that are convinced that Muhammad probably have encountered such demon and truly believed that he was called by God and truly invested 23 years of his life with that impression. Yeah, I mean, it's really amazing when you read the story of Muhammad's encounter with this this being, this alleged uh, angel, Jibril. And, you know, Muhammad himself, this is not, you know, some Christian polemicist making this point. Muhammad himself, according to his own testimony, after he had the encounter in the cave of Hira, he believed he was demon-possessed. He was physically shaking for weeks. He was terrified. He was hiding himself under blankets. And it was not until Khadija convinces him, oh, no, you're not demon-possessed. You're a prophet. And again, our purpose here is not to bash Muhammad, but from a psychological perspective, Muhammad had a classic 
a life that set him up for what I'll call delusions of grandeur. He had a classic abandonment syndrome. You know, his father died when he was in his mother's womb. His grandfather dies when he's young. He was repeatedly uh, orphaned, so to speak. And it's, you know, look, I grew up in uh, South Shore, Massachusetts, divorced family, this type of thing. I, I probably had some of that myself. And what I saw as a kid is, I'll say, the more, more irrelevant life was in terms of street kids, the more they tend to inflate their sort of pathetic life and, you know, try to tell their story as if they're some type of legend. You know, they're some kid living in their mother's basement, um, you know, without a job. And yet when they talk to people on the streets, they can puff themselves up as that. Well, in many ways, Muhammad was psychologically ripe for, again, his wife, much older than him, convincing him, oh, no, you're a prophet. You're called to be something great. And he embraced it. He received it. He welcomed it. And so this experience that he initially had, which was so dark, you know, this this presence crushing him to where he can't breathe. Any Christian is going to look at that and say, that's a demon, clearly a demon. When angels appear in the Bible, the first thing they say is, do not fear. I are not. There's a comforting presence. What Muhammad experienced was so dark, it sounds like something out of a horror movie. And he was right. He believed he was demon-possessed, but it was not until his wife convinced him, no, not only is it not a demon, you need to allow this experience to continue. And he welcomed it. And this is a perfect setup, so to speak. I mean, in many ways, I'll say Muhammad was a victim. He was a victim of life circumstances, and he was a victim of those that manipulated him. And he welcomed it, and he began receiving these experiences. And of course, what is the, what is the revelation? What is the revelation that comes out of from a Christian perspective? We would say this demonic encounter, the very essentially the very essence of revelation from God previously, is that God indeed has a son, and Muhammad comes along and says, "God has no son. God has." It was a denial of the most important, essential, foundational revelation of God to man in all of history. Now, again, Muslims recoil at that. God has a son, but let's just break down what that actually means. What that means is that God, at the essence of who he is, is a self-revealing one. He is a self-sharing one. He loves his creation. He loves us. He wants us to know him. And in order for us to know him, by necessity, he who is great, transcendent, unknowable, unapproachable. He has to veil himself. He has to lower himself. He has to condescend in order that we can know him. And he wants us to know him. And so when he does that, when he steps into and takes on flesh in order that we can truly know God, that's, that's what we say, God has a son. And in some ways, it's an expression. God didn't literally you know, have sex with Mary, which unfortunately the Quran uh, teaches, you know, God does, or God had relations, let's say, say with Mary. No, God sent his essence. He sent his heart into the world in a veiled form, in a lowered form in order that he could draw near to us. Now between, you know, let's say between the kid whose father comes home from work every day and he says, you know, daddy, daddy, play with me, you know, get down on the rug, get down on the floor and play with me. Between the father who says, nay, Far be it from me that I would do that. You know, don't you know how important I am? You know, I'm the regional manager of the largest 
mm-hmm. tire manufacturing plant in the tri-state area, whatever, you know, the father that's too great and too lofty. No, I'm not going to do that versus the father that gets down on the floor, plays with his children. Every single kid in the world, you say, which one do you want to be your father? They're always going to say emotionally, the father who humbles himself, the father who loves me enough to lower himself. That's the one that I want to be my dad. This other guy who's too lofty, too arrogant, so to speak, to lower himself to my level, I don't want anything to do with him. He's distant. And that really is a perfect picture of the difference between the God uh, uh, revealed in the Quran versus the God revealed in the Bible. Of course, God is not afraid to humble himself because greatness doesn't need to be protected. Greatness doesn't need to be preserved. Greatness is. God's greatness cannot be dented. And so, of course, he lowered himself. Of course, he took on flesh because that is uh, a much better, philosophically speaking, emotionally speaking, in every way imaginable, that is a far better picture of who God is. And so it's not surprising that that's the God that is revealed in Scripture and the God that you and I have personally encountered. Amen. Amen and hallelujah. Of course, if uh, you're tuning in right now, you are watching um, a live stream through our YouTube channel, Sierra International, also our Facebook page, alfadi.sierra, along with the fact that if you're listening to it, this is also part of our uh, podcast, Let Us Reason. And the topic that we are discussing here, myself and our special guest, Joel Richardson, has to do with Islamic superstition and jinn. And, uh, you know, Joel, you said it uh, perfectly, that there is a, a, a major contrast between biblical teachings on demonic powers and our reaction to it versus the teaching of Islam and how our Muslim uh, uh, friends oftentimes will behave and react to that. And rightfully so, because uh, they certainly do not know how to overpower, uh, you know, such beings. And this is why we are given the power of the name of Jesus to be able to do something like this. Uh, I want to just uh, quickly, Joel, address someone here by the name of Jamia Matloub. Jamia Matloub, you keep asking, who is this uh, Arab guy? My name is Abdul Fadi. أنا عبد الفادي من السعودية أتمنى إن شاء الله أنك تكون تتكلم عربي I hope that you know Arabic so uh, you keep asking the question I'm not really so sure where you're going with this and our moderators keep an eye on combating disbelief the guy that was decimated the other day just keep an eye on him brother I'll give you the last uh, minute or so before we jump into the second part when we're going to talk also about another interesting character at Dajjal Sure. I'll just end by saying that, you know, reiterating what we've already talked about, everyone out there, virtually everyone other than complete atheists, they're aware of the fact that the spiritual world is real, that spiritual beings are very real, Um, whether it be a drug addict or a Muslim, you know, opposite ends of the spectrum, a, a witch or a shaman, Christians, we believe the spiritual realm is real. The question is, who has authority? What worldview can free us from fear? from these malevolent, these evil spirits. And the only worldview, the only belief system that I know of that can actually set people free is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's really where the rubber meets the road. That's the evidence of the truth versus falsity. Amen. Amen. Uh, Jami Matloub, you say you are a Christian from Iraq. Welcome, brother. And uh, we thank you for joining us here. Uh, The other thing I wanted to uh, remind everyone, please, our moderators, put the link for Joel's uh, basically um, channel, also how you can interact with him, 
Uh, Joel, your page or your blog is called, if you want people to know about it, uh, Joel's Trumpet, correct? That's right. Joel's Trump, Joelstrumpet.com. Right. Uh, so people can go and learn more about uh, Joel. Joel focuses a lot, by the way, on end times. This is why the second part of this particular uh, live stream will focus on one Islamic character that is associated with end times known as Dajjal, which, you know, in English, we can translate him as the Antichrist, whether he is the real Antichrist of the book of Revelation or not. Of course, there is all kind of, uh, uh, you know, assumptions and all kind of uh, possibilities that we can discuss. In fact, I am hoping and praying that myself and Joel later this year, we will do a series uh, that addresses those different aspects and characters from the Islamic point of view about end times if the Lord wills for that to happen. Brother, thank you so much, of course. Uh, you know, we are going to conclude part one and we'll jump immediately into part two. Thank you, everyone, by the way, for joining us. You are listening to our podcast, Let Us Reason. Next week, of course, for you as radio listeners, will be part two. But if you are with us here in studios right now, please uh, be patient. We will take just less than probably half a minute to switch over to part two. We thank you, of course, as always, for being here in our channel. We encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Syria International, and also to follow us uh, either on the channel itself or follow us on our Facebook, alfadi.sira. And I've done a number of video series, by the way, with Joel. One of it has been released recently, and it's about the real Mount Sinai and its location in the northwestern part of Saudi Arabia. This is the conclusion now of our part one of this live stream and also of our podcast, Let Us Reason. We will connect with you shortly in part two. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.